This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. As always, in Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, guys? Just, uh, I was actually uh, hashtag dad life. Um, I'm dad to the bone. Uh, great to be with you guys. Uh, New Year's was awesome. All the bowls were fun to watch. And, uh, we're, slight, we're, we're making adjustments to our scheme, so I've, I've been doing a lot of stuff with that and then researching a lot of different things and, and trying to figure out what works best. So um, I'm thinking we're going to lean towards um, Navy and kind of what they do, at least for the run game. And then pass game, I think we're trying to figure it out. So uh, pretty pretty excited, though. Good to be here. Another Always great to be here on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. I uh, want to thank the professor for sending me uh, illegal motion college football podcast coasters. Um, it's our first piece of merchandise and, uh, I'm definitely rocking it every chance I get. All right. Well, uh, the third member of three amigos here joining us from the second city is a man who has been not only racking up the freaking flyer miles, but, uh, pick, picking some good t-shirts off of the rack. I must say, oh, yeah, it's the intrepid blogger, Josh Cook. Yeah, Happy New Year, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, uh, I am very, very bad with Christmas gifts and like to wait to know that like someone actually gave me something because then it's kind of awkward. So I think, Matt, every year that we've known each other, you've always given me a gift first. That is correct. And then basically... You realize we're going at 10 years of that now, right? I know, yeah. And then I just scramble around and like whatever I find magically works out. But it's... It's never planned ahead. And then this year, because, you know, I got the nice card from you and Lauren, I, I found two shirts, and I'm very pleased with how it all turned out. But um, I got a question for you, Coach. If you're adopting Navy's scheme, are you also adopting some excellent, excellent Hawaiian necklaces like Kenya Montalolo? Yes, those might be a part of the uh, coaching attire, sideline attire for us. That's good. Yeah. I, I, I hope maybe you guys can change the the Blue Devil mascot to something a little bit more appropriate. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, well, or maybe like, we can well, just I get mean, hand-painted helmets and customize them. I mean, <laughs> Navy already does use uh, as their mascot the official animal of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. The goat. That's the the goat. goat. Yeah. That is correct. That is correct. So, um, yeah, maybe we can uh, we can get that in the works and, uh, and, and get it happening. All right. Well, uh, enough chit-chat. It's time to get to the good stuff. Uh, today, uh, obviously, we'll be previewing the national title game a little bit later on. But first, uh, we got to get back to some old quick slants. So uh, we're going to, you know, just, you know, we're just going to give a couple notes on from coming from bowl season. And uh, before we get into talking about the big number one versus number two matchup. So, uh, Josh, uh, time for, uh, you know, time for you to go out on your route first. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, the game I wanted to talk about was USC-Wisconsin. This was a very interesting game. Wisconsin entered without a victory over a winning team, and USC really seemed to have things uh, going well under Clay Helton. Um, you can kind of understand the the, uh, the loss of Stanford in the Pac-12 title game, but I expected them to just wipe the floor with Wisconsin and – this was jarring. I think Wisconsin shows a lot of promise next year. You have to expect them and Iowa to really battle it out for the Big Ten West. And for Stanford, or for USC, uh, really disappointing how all those athletes, they couldn't overcome and beat Wisconsin's great defense. Because if you just look at the individual talent, 
USC had the edge, but schematically something was lacking. And obviously Clay Helton, interim coach, just a few games under his belt. That's something that we need to look for for him next year to see improvement in his X's and O's and what the team does schematically. Because really, apples to apples, there was no reason for the Trojans to lose that game. And per the coach's suggestion, my uh, least valuable bowl game of the year was the new era pinstripe bowl. It reflects the stupidity of instant replay on how certain things can be reviewed and other things can't. I feel really bad for the Hoosiers. The kick looked good to me, but we will never know because it was evidently too high to quote the great motion picture masterpiece, Major League. Josh, uh, to, just to uh, touch on that, that was, uh, that was simultaneously one of the uh, most exciting bowl games to watch and then one of the most disappointing endings and made it the worst bowl of the season as well. So that one kind of gets the simultaneous award. All right. Well, uh, Coach, what have you got for your first quick slant? Well, um, I'm going to take a look at the Tax Slayer Bowl, a bowl that ended up being a really good game um, with two teams that probably um, on the onset didn't didn't care too much about being there, but it ended up being a pretty heated uh, matchup between Georgia and Penn State. Georgia had a skeleton crew for coaching staff, uh, and uh, Kirby Smart was there on hand to watch and evaluate the players. I think Georgia, for them, gives a chance for a lot of the young players, especially on defense, to really show uh, what they can do and really just kind of grow and get better. So things are things are on the up and up in Athens. Uh, Kirby Smart has finally filled his staff out. Mel Tucker was named defensive coordinator yesterday, or two days ago, excuse me. And uh, he's finally got uh, finally got a full staff now. And uh, if you were watching the Army All-American game today, Isaac Nauta, number one tight end, five-star prospect, committed to the dogs. We'll get more into that when we do our recruiting specials. But um, it, it, was, it was a really good game. Georgia got up to a 24-3 lead. And, uh, you know, Penn State came back a little bit and, and made a game out of it. Uh, and they did all of this without Christian Hackenberg. He went down early in the first quarter. Uh, with a shoulder injury, never came back. Um, so hats off to Penn State. They rallied. Uh, they're starting to – you're kind of starting to see them play hard for, for James Franklin, and, and uh, maybe some things will change when they start recruiting a little bit better. So um, so watch out for the Nittany Lions and watch out for the Bulldogs. These are two teams that are trying to prove that they're on the up and coming. Uh, and I know that's kind of weird to say for Georgia, but um, I don't know. All, all in all, exciting game. Uh, for me, one of the one of the least exciting bowl games to watch. Um, this this is a tough one, guys, because it was like it was a tie between you know about a handful of bowls. I think um, you know one of the ones I really didn't enjoy watching was the San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl this year. It got which, out- which for the nineteenth year in a row has won the title of longest bowl game name. Yes, yes. If you're playing Scrabble and you need a bowl game. <laughs> Actually, that doesn't even fit on the board. You need two full rows just to do that. Yes, but uh, Boise State trounced Northern Illinois 55-7, to a game in which on the sheet I picked Northern Illinois. On this podcast I picked Boise State, so I was conflicted there. But um, it just it, it seems like it – you know, you look at the matchups on paper and it seems like it's always going to be a good matchup, but it never really lives up to the billing. Um you know, I think that uh, one of the Miami Beach and Boca Raton Bowls, I think one of those should be cut out. I think it's just well, – Just to talk about the Poinsettia Bowl really quick, you know, uh, Northern Illinois is down to, I think, their fourth-string quarterback. So, yeah. I mean, that... It actually – you saw something very similar with the Hawaii Bowl. Um, you know, San Diego State was better than Cincinnati to begin with, but Gunnar Keel not traveling with the team – took Cincinnati from having maybe a you know 10 to 15% shot of winning that game down to none. And it, it's just unfortunate when teams come in so banged up like Northern Illinois did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And then the Nova Holmes Arizona Bowl, and I hate to say this because the fighting Bobos were in that bowl, but is that bowl really necessary? Well, we'll get to uh, you know the necessity of certain bowls here in a couple minutes. I want to uh, just – uh, jump off of your, your tax layer bowl, and I'm going to get right to my first bowl. And that was, uh, quite frankly, the most exciting football game. It's the most exciting second half in overtime football I can remember watching in a very long time. And that is, of course, the Valero Alamo Bowl, where the TCU Horned Frogs came back 
from being down 31 to naught uh, in order to beat uh, the Oregon Ducks. Now, obviously, the big turn, there, there are two, well, the first really big turning point in this game was Vernon Adams uh, going down for the, for the Ducks because once he went down, their offense didn't score any points until uh, the overtime. They, they didn't score once in the second half. Um, and then obviously before the game, uh, Trayvon Boykin, um, you know, the Horn Frogs All-American quarterback was, um, you know, suspended from the game for punching a police officer. We can get into that if you guys want to, but that's just, um, you know, that that was just too bad. Uh, but you know, that, that that was just a dumb mistake on his part. But uh, Bram Kohlhausen, uh, you know, he gets to play one game in his career at TCU, really gets significant playing time. And boy, what a game for that! Uh, 351 yards, four touchdowns total. Um, you know, he just had himself he had himself a game, had himself a second half because you know uh, TCU had the goose egg going into halftime, but. Uh, you know, rolled out and could have won in regulation, but uh, needed uh, needed triple overtime to pull it off, but they did it. And that was just such an exciting game. And in, anyone who watched it, I was on the East Coast watching it, and I don't even know what time. What, what time it was, you know, getting real late at that point. But, Matt, I'll, I'll tell you this, Matt. I, I didn't even see the turning point because at 31-3, I was like, man, I'm ready to go to bed. I'm going to turn it off. I went upstairs, took a shower, and – and luckily, like, I went back downstairs to put something in the refrigerator, and my phone was in my pocket, and it buzzed, and it said, uh, TCU uh, completes comeback heading into overtime. So I just turned the TV on, watched overtime, and uh, it was uh, it was an amazing finish. And I can imagine – I saw the highlights later, but I can imagine what type of – you know, when – I, I could imagine the feeling that Oregon fans had and the feeling that TCU fans had and, and just kind of how it all shifted and things like that. And you're just, you know, at some point, you know, Oregon fans had to know this game was, you know, they had lost the game. Um, and then TCU fans had know they, no matter what, they were going to win that game. And uh, I don't know. It was exciting. I, I, I enjoyed, especially watching the overtime portion of it. Uh, that was probably one of the most nail-biting experiences of the bowl season. I'm glad you brought that game on, Matt, because there's a lot to, to talk about on that game. Um, first of all, that ended my relationship with my brother, um, to say the least, because I picked TCU originally, and then when Boykin got suspended, I was like, I should probably change my pick. And my brother goes, oh, you're an idiot. Oregon was going to win the game with or without Boykin. So I was like, okay, that's a good point. Our pick league is for money, and that was <laughs> – that game hurt me quite a lot. Um, so that was not too fun because I always like to pick Gary Patterson in bowl games. Uh, but more important to the college football landscape, obviously there was a staff shakeup after the game. Mark Helfrich inherited the job from Chip Kelly. This is the first time he's really kind of stamped his own identity onto the team because they still run the same offense. They still run that. The defensive coordinator – was a long-time assistant. He's been at um, at Oregon for years and years, dating back to, like, the Bilotti coaching staff. This is an interesting crossroads for Oregon. We've always questioned, you know, their defensive toughness. Uh, this is a chance for Helfrich and that program to really, uh, you know, go out there and get a high-quality defensive coordinator and return to uh, national prominence. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this is you know that's going to be important hire for them. They have to hire a new offensive coordinator as well, obviously, because their former offensive coordinator Scott Frost has now the head coach at the University of Central Florida. So um, l- let me just chime in on uh, on coach's recommendation of uh, the most use- useless game. Um, and I'm going to go with the AutoNation Cure Bowl because after the game, both teams ended up under 500. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's a pretty useless one. So, <laughs> that work? five and seven San Jose State beat six and six Georgia State. That's how that works. Yeah. So it was just a bad Gross. game, um, a really, really bad game. So, um, yeah, we we don't need to talk about that. Uh, Josh, what was your second game that you wanted to get to? Well. It's going to have to be the Rose Bowl. I was there. That's the only bowl I attended this year because, sadly, uh, Illegal Motion does not pay me to go to every game. 
We, 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 uh, try, we tried to get you to go to the Holiday Bowl. What happened there? Um, well, we had some uh, travel difficulties with the weather, so we missed it one of our days in San Diego, and we thought that'd be a little rude to Grandma to, uh, to be like, hey, we missed a day of vacation, and now we're going to peace out and go to a football game. You know, Gra- you know Grandma Rita is, uh, is really big into the cover, too. Oh yeah, yeah. She, uh, you know, she grew up watching the '85 Bears. Loves, uh, loves the Tampa too, and all that defense. Um, but no, the Rose Bowl. I mean, where to begin with this game? I Christian have McCaffrey. Been, that's where. Yeah, you yeah. I mean, that's where I was going to go. Is Christian McCaffrey? I had him as my Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, clearly, he's the best player in football. He's the best player I've ever seen in person. Uh, the closest we could come up with was uh, in terms of speed was Tim Dwight, the great Iowa return man who the special teams award for the Big Ten is named after. But um, Dwight was never a running back, and he was a you know, seldom used wide receiver. So you have McCaffrey, who's as good as one of the best returners in Big Ten history, then being used in multiple ways. Um, in my heart of hearts, I think even if McCaffrey wins the Heisman next year and say he wins it uh, again as a senior – he can win it back-to-back, and I'm still going to remember in 20 years that the Heisman Trophy of the 2015-16 season was a complete ripoff. There's no way Derrick Henry is better than Christian McCaffrey. So that's the first takeaway from that game. Second takeaway from that game, as an Iowa Hawkeye fan, this is just a good reminder of this year was really fun, but we aren't on the level of national prominence. We're not a title-contending team. We're not a Big Ten title-contending team. We have a lot of flaws, and the Michigan State game was so close that it was easy to think that we were going to have a chance in this. Um, The spread was Stanford by 7.5. I told my parents that, you know, if Vegas sets the spread for getting money, if they actually did the spread based on the talent of the team, I figured Stanford would be a two-touchdown team at least, and it played out that way. Uh, The last takeaway from the game, and this is a little disappointing to say because – I've been to other Rose Bowls, and so have you, Matt. Um, in the wake of the uh, the Paris stuff, they had some extra security. They did not plan that out at all. They had four metal detectors for each gate. There was lines way out the stadium, and at no point did they ever say, hey, you should probably get to the stadium early. Uh, the Alumni Association tailgate we were at finished at 1. The game started at 2.10. When the tailgate ended, we went over because – the previous Rose Bowl I've been at, you flew right through security. Wasn't that case. There was no heads up. Uh, finally, about five minutes before kickoff, I don't know, maybe ABC called them and said the stadium was half full or something. I don't know. But suddenly they, like, let everyone in go as a mad flood. And I understand the security, but not well thought out. Um, a lot of Iowa people were pretty pissed, like, that saying, hey, we haven't been here 25 years and we're going to miss the game, we're going to miss kickoff because of this. It, it was a complete screw-up by the Rose Bowl committee, which is really too bad because they seem to put on one of the best products every year. The, the game might not be close every year, but the Rose Bowl committee knows what they're doing, and they kind of dropped the ball this year. Yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of one of those logistical nightmares that I don't think for the Rose Bowl committee you're, you're in a you're in a no win situation there. I think it's you know something that you can't necessarily avoid, but you, there's there's never going to be a good outcome um, as far as making fans happy, especially if they're having to wait for forever to get in the stadium. I, I think just a, I think just a heads up would have helped. I mean, if they had just said, "Hey, make sure you head over to the stadium ninety minutes, two hours in advance," I, I think. I also think what they probably what they might could have done, um, and, and this might be, this might seem like uh, this might not seem feasible, but you know I, I think they could probably set up a uh, set up a perimeter, right, and uh, you know be able to line up more metal detectors and just have people go through the perimeter, and then you know as soon as you go through the perimeter, you're in the gate and, and you're, you're good to go, or have people with wands. Um, to fill in the gaps between the uh, metal detectors and, and just, you know, yeah. either, either uh, get wanded or you go through, you walk through the metal detector and you're good to go. Well, you know what? The, the illegal, uh, you know, I guess it would have to be um, the illegal weapons uh, 
security podcast. <laughs> Might have to get into that on their next episode. But uh, for today, let's uh, let's get back to the football for a minute. I know that you know, every time I've gone to the Rose Bowl, which is at least a half dozen times, not the Rose Bowl game, but just facility, um, you know, security is always an issue there. And that's something that it's not necessarily the Rose Bowl you know, uh, it's, it's not necessarily the Rose Bowl committee's issue. It's more of a, a, a stadium. It's a venue issue to the whoever they subcontract that out to. But yeah. anyhow, um, well, all, I just want to – thoughts on the game? Yeah, my last thought on the game is actually uh, kind of a ripoff of something I read after. And it, it's weird to say because there's three weeks separating the game. But based on Iowa and Michigan State's no-show, I read an interesting article with the idea that Maybe these two teams just beat the living crap out of each other and just didn't have it. Because, I mean, there's no way Alabama's 38 points better than a full-strength Michigan State team without the Iowa drubbing. And there's and I know Stanford's better than Iowa, but Iowa just looked like they were in quicksand. So that's another thing to maybe reflect on with these conference title games. I know the FCS – which hats off to North Dakota State five in a row. You know, they don't do conference title games. The regular season champion gets in out of, like, I think there's about eight, ten leagues thereabouts, and then the other rest of the field are out are, are all at-large teams. But they don't have this extra, you know, pointless physical game. I mean, outside of the Big Ten game, which really wasn't, that needed because Iowa had a better record than Michigan State in league. But um, for all the other leagues, the, the title game was pointless because there was already a clear-cut champion. So, yeah. you know, maybe if these if these tournament games continue to be as awful as they are, that might be something to look at and just think maybe maybe some of these teams are not coming in full strength. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about that. I think there's also – uh, something to be said that uh, physically, um, you know, people underestimate the the importance of winning the ball game up front, and I, I think that's where where Stanford was. They played above their heads, and I think Iowa was a little bit shell shocked when when they got punched in the mouth on that first play. And I think you know any game plan just got thrown out the window. Same with Michigan State, yeah. uh, really. But I, I think that they just didn't account for the speed that Stanford had up front and the speed and power in which they had on, on the offensive line and, and defensive lines. And, you know, Bethard made a Bethard play, and it just – the momentum just snowballed from there, and they just – Well, actually, 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 Bethard, actually, Bethard made a Stansy play because <laughs> that was always what Stansy did. Now, the, uh, the, yeah, the, I think the speed factor obviously favored Stanford, but I really think they were so worried about McCaffrey, it was almost paralysis by analysis. They, they were so psyched out about him not beating him that they let him beat him. Yeah, and, and it, it was evidenced by that first play where they just – they thought they had him hemmed in. Safety comes down and, and and takes a bad angle, and next thing you know, he's running 60 yards and and uh, for a touchdown and on the first play. Here we go. <laughs> the, Iowa fan, the Iowa fans, I'm sure, uh, the Iowa sidelines were like, oh, crap. And then, and then Bethard throws a pick six, and then they score another one on the punt return. Twenty-one, it's twenty-one nothing before the blink of an eye. And then I, I think that's just kind of what I think that just kind of demoralized Iowa to the point where um, they've made themselves thirty-point underdogs at that point. I think with the, with their mindset. So the mental aspect of it is a lot stronger, and I think it plays a lot more uh, into it than people can ever imagine. And and the the fact of the, the fact that they just got physically whipped up front early in the game, uh, and they let Christian McCaffrey score a couple big ones, and then uh, they gave up one on offense. I think that took a lot out of their psyche, and, and it just kind of drained them, and then they just were never the same. Yeah, that 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 pick six was really you know for for early in the game was 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 pretty pretty backbreaking. Um, yeah, because they, the, they yeah, the and you know to get that and have it go, whatever it was, 70 yards or so. So, yeah. well, uh, Coach, let's have you talk about, you know, go down to the bayou and talk about the Sugar Bowl. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, talk about redemption, all right? If you guys remember last year, Ole Miss, uh, in Ole Miss in the Peach Bowl against TCU just got flat embarrassed 
Well, they decided, I think, that they weren't going to let that happen again um, to the same co- against the same conference. Oklahoma State comes limping in. Um, thankfully for Ole Miss fans that Oklahoma State came limping in, uh, demoralized after losing two in a row, two really bad ones in a row, really. Um, and it just it didn't get any better. It was it was a little tight at first, and I think it was just kind of that portion of the of the of the game where the teams are feeling each other out, and and they just neither of them are playing not to make a mistake. And uh, I think it just started when uh, you know Chad Kelly threw that touchdown to go up ten to three, and uh, just the onslaught continued there. Laquan Treadwell proved that he's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. Larry Tunsil the same way. And really, the highlight of this game was was when Laramie Tunsil scored that touchdown right before half. They ran the trick play down there um, inside the uh, inside the red zone or inside the ten yard line, really. And uh, they ran that trick play with with a with a tackle wheel route and floated it right up there to to Laramie Tunsil. I, I, you know, you could see all the all the offensive linemen just uh, just just ex- uh, just excited and celebrating. So uh, for Oklahoma State. Man, you know, you feel bad for them because they had such a good season up until Bedlam uh, or up until the Baylor game, really, or up until Bedlam and then the Baylor game after. Um, it was, you know, it was bad. At one point in that game, it was 41-6. to six. I just – it was one of those games where, you know, for, for, most of, for most of the day, I just like – especially like for the Rose Bowl, I, at some point I just quit watching, quit paying attention. It was on in the background. Uh, same with the early games. I, I, was, I was in and out. Um, I kind of enjoyed watching Florida get beat down. Um, that was kind of fun. So I, I spent most of my time watching that. Ohio State pulled away from from Notre Dame as as we thought they would. So really, the the, the amount of exciting games were were there were not there. But for the Sugar Bowl, for some reason, I, I enjoyed it, even though it was extremely lopsided. Um, I enjoyed it because uh, you know, as a purely in a football sense. I'm starting to kind of slowly get on board with Hugh Freeze and what they're doing at Ole Miss. Uh, Recruiting-wise, maybe a little shady. He might be kind of a little slimy person. Um, I don't necessarily love the system that he runs, um, but I will say this. For as much as I said they were soft, they proved it. They, they proved that wrong. Um, they kept proving it wrong. This was probably one of the most physical games from Ole Miss that I've seen all year. Um, they just keep getting better. Uh, Laquan Treadwell is—he uh, is easily the best best receiver. He's best receiver in the country, I think. Um, well, I think Corey Coleman might have something to say about that. I don't know, man. After what after watching him do what he does, I don't know. That's I don't, I, that, I, I that'd pers- be good. personally, you know, if I'm taking one guy completely healthy, I'm probably taking Josh Doxson out of TCU, but. Yeah, you know, that, that, I don't you know. know. That, that's yeah. a different. That's a different story for a different day. But yeah, Treadwell reminds me. I mean, I don't think I don't think he's quite as good, but he reminds me a lot of AJ Green. Really? Yeah. To me, he reminds me more of like a Des Bryant type. I don't think he's as physical as Des Bryant was. Okay. Um, he's. Uh, I think he goes up and makes plays. I mean, he, he reminds me a lot of AJ Green. AJ Green was. He was somewhat physical, but he, he was always the guy you could you could lay it up to. And he, you know, that if that ball's in the air anywhere near him, he's going to come down with it. Um, of course, AJ Green has a knack for that. Um, and uh, AJ Green's a little bit longer, a little bit faster, can run some better routes than Treadwell, um, even coming out of college. But you know, I think they're very similar in what they do. That would be my comparison. That's who he kind of reminds me of. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, Des Bryant's not not a bad not a bad comparison. I just think Des Bryant's a lot more physical. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, we we get into comparisons other times, but yeah, I was surprised at how physical Ole Miss was, even though Kimdichie was out um, for yeah. Kimdichie was out with his synthetic marijuana wrap. So, yeah, um, they, I mean, on on both fronts, they were just. I mean, they just it, it just seemed like they were playing. You know how you know how a team plays with a chip on their shoulder. It seemed like they had two chips on their shoulder. Interesting. It, it just seemed like that they 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 were playing extra nasty. They were just extra hyped up. I and mean, I think a lot of it has to do with their bowl performance last year and how they didn't want to repeat that. Um, but I, I think that the the 
program starting to kind of buy in. It, it was kind of on the ropes last couple of years with Hugh Freeze. I don't think people were quite sure what he was what he was about. And then uh, I think people are starting to kind of see now, and they're starting to kind of see that he's for real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and the Duke can recruit. I mean, uh, yeah. we just we uh, they just uh, reeled in the number one quarterback prospect or number two quarterback prospect in the country, depending on who you talk to, number one or number two. Yeah, uh, Shea Patterson. And he yeah. looked really good in the Army game today. So he, they're he getting another good one. Better than, a lot better than Eason, the other guy yeah, who's up yeah, there. Yeah. Eason, really, Eason really struggled today, which surprised me a little bit. But, yeah. again, again, we'll get to that uh, next week on the illegal motion um, uh you know, on the illegal motion uh, uh, recruiting podcast. On the um, illegal benefits. On the illegal <laughs> benefits. Amen to that. All right. Well, I want to get to my uh, my, my last quick slant here. Uh, just talk about the Peach Bowl real quick. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, uh, Houston uh, Cougars. Houston. Houston, like I'm Tony Kornheiser, um, uh, beat Florida State 38-24. Um, the – Coming into the game, Florida State had only had 10 turnovers uh, the entire season. They committed five in the Peach Bowl. Uh, just a real sloppy game from the Knolls. Obviously, you know, uh, they were out. They were without uh, their, their, starting cor- their starting quarterback. Um, and they were um, – and then uh, Sean McGuire got injured in the game but stayed in. And, you know, Dalvin Cook only rushed for 33 yards and lost a fumble. Just really tough game. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about, especially Josh, um, before the, um, you know, before this game in our um, New Year's Six preview, you know, Josh, you talked about Houston's defense and how, you know, how you thought they were kind of underrated. They proved it here. I mean, obviously Florida State scores 14 in the last quarter to make it a little bit closer. But still, I mean, they're, uh, you know, Houston was ball hawking all day. Um, you know, it really sort of, um, I think this firmly entrenches Houston going forward as a team to be reckoned with. They finished the season 13-1 and with the sole loss, um, uh, you know, with only one loss on the season uh, in, you know, in a, a very, in a very strange game. So it was, you know, uh, uh, they, they're able to keep Tom Herman aboard and that's going to be really important because obviously he's one of the hottest <clears throat> names in coaching right now. And if he's going to be staying there, they've got Greg Ward Jr. coming back. They're going to lose to Marcus Ayers to the draft. Uh, Ayers, uh, caught a touchdown, threw a touchdown, ran for a touchdown. He was all over the place. He was the, um, Definitely one of the uh, you know the highlights of this game. Um, I would have given him the MVP of the game, uh, but Greg Ward Jr. played fantastic as well. And this team is going to be really great going forward. I don't think Florida State they just you know I don't think they had their head in this game. I, I, I really don't. They looked no, they, they looked they weren't, sloppy. They weren't into it. I don't think. I, I just think that they were disappointed that they had to play Houston. Uh, you know they just weren't ready to play. Uh, simply put, just wasn't ready to play. And thanks to a great move at the waiver wire, Houston has their heir apparent for when Greg Ward Jr. finishes his career after next year. Yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> All right. Well, it's uh, it's time for us to get to the main event. And that is, the, you know, after two lackluster uh, semifinals, we have – uh, you know what? What should be an absolute classic um, coming up uh, this Monday night in uh, in Arizona in Glendale University of Phoenix Stadium, uh, where number two Alabama will take on number one Clemson, and you know it seems like everyone is on this Alabama train. Um, you know that, that's uh, with Nick Saban as the conductor. Um, and, you know, it doesn't seem like anyone can score in them recently. But I think the, the Clemson team's just a little bit different, isn't it, Josh? Yeah, just a little bit. Um, I'm sure both teams are desperately dreading who I am uh, I'm picking because I'm 0-2 right now in this tournament. I, <laughs> I'm going for the trifecta. Um, no, what, what Clemson does that we saw in the game against Oklahoma that – I'm not sure Alabama has seen since their Ole Miss game is a team that is as ball hawking as Clemson. We saw, you know, two interceptions by Baker Mayfield. Obviously everyone thinks Oklahoma had a big advantage over Alabama at the quarterback position and the passing game in general. And, you know, 
Samaj P. Ryan, he didn't get invited to New York, but he's not a terrible running back. I mean, he's not that far off from Derrick Henry. So Clemson shut him down with 58 yards. So this is going to be the best defense that Alabama sees. Um, I don't know when. Maybe maybe since the uh, – the Tennessee game, LSU game maybe, which was a month ago, over a month ago. It was four games, four games ago, but obviously – or five games ago, but obviously it was much longer than several months. So you, you are curious about the game speed that Clemson brings defensively and how Alabama can react to that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, up front, I think that Clemson's defensive line really gets after it. I think the speed in which they – which they get there is also impressive. Shaq Lawson, you know, I've, I've said his name repeatedly amongst the history of the Legal Motion College Football podcast. Um, you know, he, he's a special guy, but he's coming, you know, he's recovering from a knee injury. Um, you just got a whole host of, of guys that I'm going to say like no-name type guys, like guys that you wouldn't think of, guys that, you know, that don't come to mind, um, but they just like get after it. And I think Venable's – is the mastermind behind all of that. I think that he is uh, one of the, if not the best, one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. I think you're going to see the two premier defensive coordinators going at it this weekend. Um, Dabo Sweeney made a tremendous hire when he brought him in and got rid of Kevin Steele um, after giving up 70 points to uh, to West Virginia in the Orange Bowl. Um, Brent Venables just, I mean, that guy just knows how to disrupt and what he does best and what actually both of these coordinators do best is as they watch film, they kind of make note of what hurts hurts the the other team the most or what the other, what the opponent is best at, and they make a plan specifically to shut that down and then once you know and they might take a few they might take a few blows early on trying to shut down that one aspect, but once they finally get their teeth into you and shut down that that one aspect that's your hat hanger. You're done. Um, even if you even if you get a couple shots in early, you're done. As soon as they turn you one dimensional, it's over. And both teams do a tremendous job of game planning in that sense. So I'm excited to kind of see what what both teams are going to bring to the table, um, especially defensively. I think it's going to be at least early on. It's going to be low scoring, um, but uh, you know I think Deshaun Watson. This is the best front seven that he's ever going to see and uh you know all year um alabama has just improved each and every week um they went from being one of the one of the least talented nick saban teams to actually being historically one of the best front sevens that he's ever fielded especially at alabama so you know they've they've kind of grown throughout the throughout the weeks and, and you've seen the growth especially from the old miss game um they've grown each and every week into uh into a juggernaut. And so it's going to be a tough, tough go for, for Clemson. It's going to be a tough go for Deshaun Watson. He's going to have his work cut out for him. That offensive line, um, as young as they are, they're going to have their work cut out for him and, and they're just going to have to be patient. They're going to have to accept punting as a, as a preferred method of moving the ball. And there's nothing <laughs> wrong with punting. Uh, maybe they can play defense and uh, maybe they can kind of have uh, some, some success that Michigan state, wishes they could have had um, and didn't. And so uh, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to slow down Coker. And if they can slow down Coker, make them one-dimensional, especially one-dimensional into a running team, I think that Derrick Henry, um, it's going to be a lot more tougher sledding for him, and they're going to provide Deshaun Watson with with some more opportunities to keep him in it. So, you know, uh, it's going to be a tough one to pick. Um, I'm going to have to kind of mull over it as as we talk about it. as far as who I think is going to win, not as far as who I want to win, that's pretty obvious. But, um, you know, if I'm picking for record, I really got to think about it. If I'm picking with my heart, um, then I'm going to have to go with the Tigers. But it's going to be, it's going to be a good national championship game if it lives up to, uh, if it lives up to the hype. But um, both teams are, are tremendous. Yeah, I mean, obviously – you know, Alabama's defense is, is definitely one for the ages this year. Uh, you know, you know, a, a lot of talks been made about Clemson's offense, but I think you're right to bring up 
uh, Brett Venables and the job that he's done with the Clemson defense. It's going to be interesting to see how much they can get out of Shaq Lawson. Um, you know, he's not 100% coming into this game. A lot of people are saying, oh, you know, he might not, you know, push himself too hard, you know, and uh, really hurt his draft stock too much, but – I don't know. That's that's crap too. He's gonna he's gonna push himself harder because he wants that ring. Oh so, yeah, I you know once you guys in the field, they're not you know yeah. Well, once you step in between the lines, you're not thinking about your draft status. You're well, what about- he's done, what he's done to get himself in a position to actually suit up for this game has been tremendous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I think that you know you're gonna see every he's gonna do everything he can. Um, you know, or you know, or to get out there and, and get after it. But either way, um, you know, I think that it's going to be interesting. One of the things that uh, Alabama did against Michigan State, what they've been doing in the second half of the season, is getting those big plays from Calvin Ridley, the freshman wide receiver. And I think that um, you know. Uh, more so than Michigan State, uh, Clemson has the defensive backs to not allow that. We've talked about at nods about Mackenzie Alexander, how much we love him, and you know he, he's a guy you can go throw out there on an island and say, okay, th- you know this guy's not going to catch the ball. Um, you know, I was reading, uh, I, I was reading up on some stats on him to, on you know Mackenzie Alexander in preparation for the podcast. Things like, um, you know, the in his career at Clemson, he's only had two touchdowns scored on him, um, which, you know, for a guy who's played pretty much every snap at corner since he walked on campus, that is truly, truly outstanding. Um, You know, this guy just doesn't give up big plays. um, And, you know, he takes away half, he takes away half the field. And so that's going to really limit what Lane Kiffin and the offense uh, of Alabama can do. So, uh, you know, I thought that, um, you know, Josh, you talked about how you don't think that Derrick Henry was uh, worthy of the Heisman Trophy, um, but do you think he is a worthy adversary here for uh, Clemson's run defense? Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you want to expand yeah. on that? You know, it, uh... offensive is it offensive line? Is it, you know, <laughs> what is it about – um, I mean, it's a combination thereof. I think Cooper does a good enough job of uh, passing that you can't completely load the box. Obviously, the offensive line is great. And then just Derrick Henry's running style. He's so physical that it, he's hard to bring down. So it's a good combination of the three. He's a, he's a nightmare for anyone. He's a great back, don't get me wrong. He's just not the Heisman Trophy one. Yeah. He makes a lot of his he makes a lot of his yards uh, late in the third and in, in fourth quarters when when he's worn you down. He's more of like a downhill, just destroy you uh, type runner. Which I don't I don't know how long that I don't know what kind of length of career that's going to translate to into the NFL. But you know, Clemson's got a lot of work cut out for him as far as stopping him, and, and they're just going to have to. Uh, you know, early on, they're you know they're just going to have to take the pound. They're going to have to stay fresh, rotate a lot, and then just try to try to hang on and keep the game tight. Maybe even if they have a lead and and they they force the game into Coker's hands, maybe that can be something they can do um, defensively. But yeah, Henry, um, I, I agree with you, Josh. I don't think he, I don't think he deserved the Heisman, not because he's not good enough, but I think Christian McCaffrey's just better. Um, you know. I, that that's kind of my thoughts on that, but uh, you know Henry's going to be, you know, Clemson's going to get their money's worth with Derrick Henry this this game. Well, yeah, and you know if he uh, he should break Herschel Walker's uh, SEC record for number of rushes in one season in uh, in this game. Then again, Walker did it in twelve games. He's going to do it in fourteen, but mm-hmm. uh, still, or maybe even eleven games. I'm not quite sure how many games Walker played. Um, that year, I think it was eighty. I want to say it was eighty-three at Georgia. But well, wouldn't this be Alabama's fifteenth game? I'm sorry, you're correct. Yeah, fifteenth yeah. game. Good grief. Um, well, it's a long season now. Yeah, I know. Um, Even more reason to nuke the title games. So, <laughs> all right. Well, um, uh, Josh, it sounds like you are picking Clemson. I am, and we haven't talked about him yet that much. But um, Deshaun Watson, he's an unbelievable talent at quarterback, very, very mobile. And when you look at Clemson's – or, excuse me, Alabama's uh, schedule, they really didn't play anyone as electric as him. You, you could maybe say Tennessee 
has a very mobile quarterback, Dak Prescott from Mississippi State, but obviously the Bulldogs didn't have nearly the weapons around Prescott as Clemson has with Watson. So um, Nick Saban, as good as that defense is, tempo and mobile quarterbacks seem to upset them a little bit. So I'm going to go with Clemson, which the way I've been picking this tournament, um, congratulations to Alabama winning the national title game. Uh, Coach, how about you? Uh, I, okay, I'm on the hot seat now, I guess. I've been trying to kind of think about it. Um, I'm going to go with Clemson. I, I think Deshaun Watson's playmaking abilities at the quarterback position are going to open up a lot um, in Clemson. In Clemson's arsenal, Wayne Gallman is, uh, you know, he made a lot of plays in, in the semifinal game. He was a huge, integral part, a huge part of Clemson's success against Oklahoma. I think not much is going to change there. He's going to have tough sledding at first, but I think Deshaun Watson's going to open up a few things for him. Um, they're going to have a great game plan coming in, especially defensively. Uh, you know, I, I like what Venables has done, and I have no reason to doubt that he can't put together another good game plan for for this offense. And uh, I think he's coming in uh, with a – I think, honestly, I think game planning for Alabama is going to be a lot easier than game planning for Oklahoma because Oklahoma had Sterling Shepard, Baker Mayfield, Samaje P. Ryan, um, all could could hurt you equally. And I think that Alabama uh, has Calvin Ridley, Derrick Henry, um, and then Coker's up and down. So you never know what you're going to get out of them. And I, I think that Venables has a good as a knack for exploiting bad quarterback play and uh, even forcing bad quarterback or bad quarterback play <laughs> tongue twister as he did in the uh, in the Orange Bowl against Baker Mayfield. So I'm gonna go with the Tigers to win this one and win their first national championship since 1981. Well, that makes a quick, clean sweep for us. So that definitely means that Alabama is going to win. But no, I, <laughs> yeah. I am also picking. Um, did we all pick Michigan State? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, we did. <laughs> did. Did we all pick Clemson? Uh, did we all pick Clemson as well? In, our, in the other, no, game? no I picked no. Oklahoma. Uh, I picked Clemson. Yeah, Corey and I picked Clemson. Josh picked Oklahoma. Yeah. I picked um, well. All right. Well, um, I, you know, I'm going to go with Clemson as well. I think that – I said earlier I thought this was a team of destiny. Uh, I think they're still the team of destiny. And I think that uh, Dabo's winning right now is carrying himself. Like, he doesn't have a care in the world. I just love that attitude about him right now. He's so focused, but, and, but nothing else matters to him. So, um, you know, this is – you know, it's, I think it's going to be a great game either way. I'm just hoping for a good game because the two semifinals were so bad. I just want to see a, a close, competitive, hard-fought game. Um, I think one guy to really keep your eye out for is Artavis Scott, wide receiver um, uh, of, for Clemson. Uh, when, uh, you know, I, the Alabama front seven is great. Their secondary is a little bit more suspect. It's not like they're terrible by any means. Uh, freshman Minka Fitzpatrick is a huge playmaker. Um, you know, he plays a little nickel corner, does, does some returns and stuff like that. But Artavis Scott um, is, uh, you know, he can be a real stud for them, uh, for, for the Tigers out there. So, um all right. Well, um, that will uh, pretty much do it for us. You guys, have, uh, Josh, do you have any uh, any parting shots? Well, I mean, I've been a, I've been an advocate of how dumb this tournament is, and I think the way uh, we saw just how bad some of these group of six games were, it needs to be an eighteen tournament. Stanford should still be alive. Ohio State should still be alive. You know, we, we've had such better games. Who wouldn't want to see Stanford, Alabama in the second round of the tournament? It, all we're doing is cheapening ourselves. It's dumb. It's pointless. I, I mean, even, even Ole Miss would have gotten a mix there, and they could have made some noise and, and, and made a run at it. So, I mean, you never know what happens come tournament time. Team, Some teams show up. Some teams crap the bed. And, and I, uh, I mean, they, they should go to 16 teams, you know, give, give Houston a shot. Yeah. Or, yeah, or, they, or they should be more diligent in picking their uh, more diligent in picking their matchups. I think if you have an eight team tournament, I think you're more diligent in picking your matchups, in picking your teams. I think you're a little bit more stingy as far as who you let in and and uh, and you want to get the get the team. So maybe Houston would have had a chance to slide in at that eight slot. Mm-hmm. So you never know. I mean, a team like Oklahoma State might not have been been in an eight team tournament format uh, versus they're just in a New Year's Six Bowl. You have you have the five group of five 
or the five power five champions, then you have the highest ranked group of five team, and the other two are just simply at largest. Who who they think uh, the the two highest ranked teams that don't fall into those two categories um, is, is who you got to go with. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, so I, it, you know, this year it would have been the Buckeyes for sure. Yep. And uh, probably Ole Miss. Yeah, it's going to be old, yeah. it was gonna, old Miss or Florida State. It was going to be one or the other. Yeah, and they probably would have gone with Florida State uh, given past uh, reputation. Yeah, and, 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 and Houston. So, um, you know, and Houston obviously showed that, you know, they're, they're one hell of a team. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, if you think about it, we've had this tournament two years. The group of five representative is undefeated. Boise State smoked Arizona last year. And you look at the team that finishes fifth or sixth or thereabouts, mm-hmm. TCU rolled last year, Ohio State rolled this year, Stanford rolled. I mean, these teams that just missed out on the tournament are clearly, clearly as good as the, the four that make it. What oh. about Michigan State? Michigan, they rolled. They just missed the New Year's Six. They rolled uh, who, who Florida, at yeah. one point we thought was going to win the SEC. <laughs> 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 yeah, good God. Silly, silly us. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Check back in at, next week uh, after the game is over. Uh, we'll have a podcast recapping the game and starting to get into recruiting season. We'll talk about a couple more, uh, you know, coaching changes that have been made, especially on the coordinator front. Um, you know, obviously oh, yeah. I, want, I want to talk to you guys about uh, the, the biggest coordinator move is probably Aranda from Wisconsin to LSU, but got a couple of other, other big ones as well. Uh, Tennessee just hired away Penn State's defensive coordinator today, in fact. So, and uh, Texas A&M offensive coordinator, Noel Mazzone. Um, and uh, Paul Rhodes of Iowa State is um, the front runner to get the D.C. job at Mississippi State. Yeah, yeah, lots of lots of stuff happening there. So um, we're going to have to uh, get to all that next week. Um, but on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton, and on behalf of our blogger, Josh Cook, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Shout out to Northwest Missouri State and Mount Union. Boom. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.